What I found looking at the data was that 56 biopharma companies laid off staff that we know about, which is an 87% increase compared to last year at the same time when 30 companies reported layoffs in the first quarter. That's Gabrielle Mason, a staff writer here at Fierce Biotech. Later, we'll hear more from her about 2023's biopharma layoffs. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. Today is Friday, May 19th. I've got my colleague Max Bayer here to help me give you this week's top biopharma and medtech industry news you need. Max, thanks for doing the news rundown with me today. Can you kick this off by telling us about a story you reported on this week? The FDA advisors voted in favor of a gene therapy treatment by Sarepta Therapeutics. Tell us about this treatment. So Sarepta has been a leading drug developer for treatments for Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and they were coming to advisors with their first gene therapy uh, to treat Duchenne for a larger population than, than some of the other approved treatments that they have. Sarepta was using a, a smaller version of the dystrophin protein, which is underexpressed or not expressed in, in Duchenne patients, and that sort of leads to uh, the, the muscle weakness and degeneration that patients see. Uh, so that the therapy is adding sort of a, a, a smaller version of that protein um, and in the hopes of sort of uh, stabilizing or improving motor function. And you reported that members of this advisory committee, the Cellular Tissue and Gene Therapies Advisory Committee, voted eight to six that the benefits of the therapy outweighed the risks. That's a pretty close vote, but what challenges remain? Really challenges and, and questions remain about the therapy's efficacy. Um, the the company is arguing that the therapy, um, the, the, the microdystrophin expression correlates to an improvement of motor function, but sort of the jury remains out on that based off of the data. And also the, the company had mixed results in the clinical trials that it had conducted ahead of time. So while the advisors ultimately supported the benefit risk profile, largely because of a, of a pretty safe safety profile, the, the advisors in the FDA both had concerns and still have some concerns about the true efficacy of the treatment. So what can we expect next? First and foremost is the FDA has an end of May deadline uh, to decide on the accelerated uh, approval application. But then what's sort of also important to look at is that Sarepta has a phase three confirmatory trial, uh, mm -hmm. and that is slated to, have, slated to have the first bit of data readout in December. So that should also provide a bigger picture, a clearer picture into the efficacy of the gene therapy. Okay. And in terms of FDA approvals, Abbott has picked up their fourth FDA approval in less than a year. Andrea Park reported this. She said that the latest approval is for Abbott's spinal cord stimulation systems. It allows these devices to be used to treat chronic back pain in patients that are not eligible for corrective surgeries. And it applies to all of Abbott's devices currently available in the U.S. So how does it work? All of Abbott's devices use its Burst DR technology. So pulse generators are implanted into the lower back and they send out electrical pulses to the nervous system to block pain signals from reaching the brain. The Burst DR technology sends out the electrical signals in short bursts rather than a continuous stream of stimulation like so many other spinal cord stimulators. 
Abbott says that this particular approach more closely mimics the nervous system's natural rhythms, and it also avoids the uncomfortable tingling that can be caused by continuous stimulation. It was a busy week for Andrea, who also continued her coverage of Elizabeth Holmes, the former Theranos CEO. It turns out that Holmes has run out of options to delay her prison sentence. Uh, In a filing on Tuesday, an appeals court denied her request to stay out of jail while she appeals her fraud convictions. Uh, She was originally supposed to turn herself in on April 27th, but her legal team filed a last-minute request shortly before that, automatically delaying the start of her 11-year sentence. Okay, so when does she have to surrender? The court hasn't yet announced a new surrender date, but in a separate filing on Tuesday, uh, the judge overseeing the case uh, finally issued a decision on the amount of restitution that Holmes and her former partner, Sonny Balwani, will have to pay. So what's the damage? (laughs) (laughs) Well, together they'll have to shell out a total of $452 million. We're we're talking almost half a billion (laughs) there. Uh, It is split between 12 high-paying investors as well as former Theranos partners, Walgreens, and Safeway. Uh, Mm -hmm. The largest pieces of the restitution pie will go to Rupert Murdoch uh, and the DeVos family's RDV Corp, uh, who will each receive more than $100 million. Teresa, there was also some some M&A news this week. What what happened on that front? Well, Angus Liu reported that the U.S. Federal Trade Commission filed a lawsuit to block Amgen's proposed acquisition of Horizon Therapeutics. And the FTC is also seeking a temporary restraining order and a preliminary injunction to prevent the transaction from closing. The FTC argued that Amgen could leverage its existing product portfolio to entrench the monopoly. They said entrench the monopoly positions of Horizon Meds for thyroid eye disease and chronic gout. Of note, this is the first time that the FTC has reached beyond specific product overlap in its reviews and instead focused on companies' past behaviors around drug pricing. Yes, and it's an approach that the agency has threatened to implement since 2021, but this is the first time, and we can expect it more in the future. On Tuesday, the FTC Bureau of Competition Director Holly Vidova said in a statement that this that the action is the FTC's first challenge to a pharmaceutical merger in recent memory. She said, quote, that it sends a clear signal to the market. The FTC won't hesitate to challenge mergers that enable pharmaceutical conglomerates to entrench their monopolies at the expense of consumers and fair competition. When I read that, the first thing that comes to mind is watch out Pfizer and Seijin. So we'll see if there's any implications (laughs) on that deal. Yeah. Well, thanks, Max. Thank you so much for having me. As you're listening to this, I'm probably sitting on a plane over the Atlantic Ocean. I'm headed to Switzerland to speak at the World Heart Summit this weekend. I'll be talking about how to translate scientific and medical knowledge in a way that's easily understood by the public, like vaccines, genetics, artificial intelligence, statistics, all that gobbledygook. So if you're going to be there, find me. I'd love to chat and geek out about science. Layoffs have hit biopharma hard over the last year and a half. Coming up next, Max Bayer will be back with Gabrielle Mason to discuss the recent trends. But first, a word from our sponsor. ZS is giving voice to patient centricity. Move beyond the buzzword to discover how to bring patient-led business models to life. 
Join me, Victoria Summers, Principal in ZS's Patient Health and Equity Accelerator, as I discuss effective strategies, best practices, and real-world examples with ZS experts from across the industry. Bonus content features patients in their own words, sharing their personal health journeys. You can find us at zs.com. Look for the Patient Centricity Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Our team here has been tracking layoffs in the industry since the start of last year in 2022 um, with our Fierce Biotech layoff tracker. Yeah, and uh, it was it was it was a good project because you know obviously unfortunately there were a lot of layoffs last year amid a, a bit of a cratering in the industry, and we came into this year. Um, Frankly, like a lot of people in 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 the market and in, in, in biotech, sort of cautiously optimistic that the layoff tracker would dwindle because we don't. Mm-hmm. It's not good news. It's, it's hard to report on. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know that didn't happen. So we have our tracker, and we brought it back into 2023. Um, and so I just did an analysis on the numbers for the first quarter of the year, um, so January through March, and. What I found looking at the data was that 56 biopharma companies laid off um, staff that we know about, um, which is an 87% increase compared to last year at the same time when 30 companies reported layoffs in the first quarter. It's an absolutely staggering number, again, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the context of optimism and people hoping that the worst had already passed, um, which we'll get into. It's not necessarily a... um, uh, unanimous feeling, but certainly among some, uh, the the number of companies reporting layoffs in the first quarter this year uh, was almost half of all of the companies that we tracked in biotech and biopharma that laid off people in all of last year. So that would be 56 through March um, compared to 119, again, for all of 2022. Uh, and now where we're at in April, we've already passed the halfway point for, for all of 22. Um, it's just a staggering figure of given all, all of sort of that pain um, mm-hmm. felt last year. Yeah, it's really difficult to kind of see those numbers and see that increase. It's also crazy um, just looking at for this quarter or quarter one, seeing which month had the highest number of companies laying off staff. Um, it was actually the shortest month, so it was February, um, which had more layoff announcements than January or March. And so that was 23 companies making cuts in 28 days, which, again, is just kind of an astounding number. Is there is there any sort of reason that you found in your analysis for why um, that for why February was particularly brutal? Yeah. So I I think like that layoff surge kind of came around the same time as, you know, end of year earning results came in when a lot of biotechs really had to face um, their cash burn from the year before and a low return on investments. They really had to face everything that kind of came to fruition in 2022. So staff cuts slowed a bit in March, which, you know, is good, but there were still 19 companies slimming down their workforces. So still seeing a lot of companies laying off people. Do we have a sense sort of uh, given, you know, that we, we we primarily track, you know, the companies themselves and, and report the figures as they report them, but how did these these layoffs translate to uh, an actual number of employees that have been affected across the sector? 
Yeah. So, so it is hard. We we've tried many ways to kind of calculate a number. It is hard to, you know, figure out the true human impact from all the cuts, because like you said, a lot of companies we're we're going solely off company disclosed information and a lot of companies don't share those direct numbers. So of the 18 companies that did disclose those numbers, we know almost 1500 employees were laid off in the first quarter. But then that still leaves the remaining 38 companies included in our tracker that either reported layoffs as a percentage of their workforce or, you know, they didn't say how many staff members would be laid off. And and what did some of the sources that you spoke to for this story sort of have to say about maybe why this trend has continued as, as uh, furiously as it has? So I spoke with Eric Celedonio, who's the founder of SciBio Recruiting. Um, and basically, he just said that, you know, biotech got hit by the difficult market conditions really early on. Um, so he kind of had almost an optimistic view, but he said he can't really foresee it getting much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the optimist, Eric. <laughs> yeah, it's it was, it, it's, it's, it was sort of interesting. Like, you know, I think... When I started at Fierce, I remember people sort of described healthcare and, and I sort of been grouping biotech in there as maybe a recession proof industry. Mm. Um, and I guess you could maybe still make that case, but then I would sort of counter and say like, well, uh, as these fears of a global and nationwide recession, uh, you know, bubble to the surface, like biotech has been in a recession since 2021, if you're just sort of looking at declines and and sort of persistently at a lower level than maybe people hoped. Um, and so it seemed a lot like 2022, um, you know, 2021 was a lot of the post-COVID boom dwindling down. And then 2022, uh, you had the aggressive rate hikes, you had some declining VC investment, particularly in the second half of the year. Um, uh, the industry experienced some unsustainable demand. And, and again, the, the uh, funding highs tied to the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, we, we've covered companies that tried to take the EUA route for a, a investigational COVID therapy or, or a vaccine. And then there, when you, when you, when you top it off with, with a poor public marketplace, then you're having a lot of companies that are not actually launching IPOs. Um, so it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Was that sort of what you derived, maybe looking at some of these figures and what uh, your sources said? Yeah, definitely. I mean, basically, like the industry lived in a bubble during 2020, for sure, and 2021 as well. Um, Eric kind of called it like the industry was high on COVID mania. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> he just thinks that this is essentially, you know, a reversion back to the mean, but uh, an overswing, you know. Right. Um, so it's again, it's hard to see. And I think it's hard to you can't really quantify uh, just the pain from layoffs into, you know, in a, a reversion back to the mean. But overall, I think we already hit the worst of it. Right. The interesting thing, you know, about the first quarter of this year versus last year in its entirety was it really was sort of led by I, I guess I shouldn't say led by but but one of the sort of a lot of the layoffs were coming from larger pharmaceutical companies. We've reported on Johnson & Johnson, Amgen, Pfizer, Bayer, Novo Nordisk, Genentech, mm -hmm. um, and, and others, uh, which which sort of got pulled into this, this whirlpool of sorts. And I remember when I spoke to Eric at the beginning of the year, there was sort of this maybe sort of, sort of some of the optimism was based on at least we have big pharma uh, to, to continue 
hiring and growing because again, many of those companies are flush with with COVID era cash still. Um, but but maybe not so much anymore as they also sort of contract uh, some some R and D efforts uh, and to look to save money. Yeah, I mean, if, if biotech got hit, you know, early, then the big pharma's were really late to the game. But um, they definitely have joined now. Um, however, like their workforce reductions just aren't necessarily the same kind of telling indicator of company health that they are for biotechs. You know, they are different industries. Right. And, and, and you've sort of made this point in the past that, you know, the, the, it's, it's also maybe a bit of how the pain is felt in a way, too, in, in a sense that, um, you know, biotech layoffs can be spurred by one clinical, like you could be a biotech with one or two clinical assets. Uh, and so if you have to cut one of them because the data isn't that promising or you have to cut multiple, then that's going to really sort of directly impact your staff. Um, Whereas maybe one or two pipeline calls for a big pharma is not necessarily translating to uh, massive layoffs or vice versa, right? Like having to cut staff and then having to sort of impact your R&D efforts as a result of needing to save that money. So the, the, the pain uh, is maybe felt a little bit differently um, when, when larger pharmas have to contract versus uh, uh, biotechs. Yeah, exactly. And and basically, Eric, he, he was just like, Big Pharma is doing what, you know, any mature industry does, which is get rid of more expensive, like less productive people, which sounds kind of harsh. But, you know, that's that's always been a trend in any, like he said, mature industry. Let me just sort of poke at that a little bit. Like, what are some of those people and, and is there a certain type of role that seems more susceptible to layoffs at, at this time? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So, I mean, while the big pharma and biotech, the situation is really different. Um, one similar pattern, you know, did emerge from the two layoffs or, you know, the tale of two layoffs <laughs> um, across the board. Uh, preclinical work and R&D roles were more likely to be cut than, you know, other positions, as well as um, roles that can be consolidated, like administrative and operational roles that can kind of um be consolidated into one. So I, I spoke with Recruits Labs CEO and mm. founder Darren Nelson, and it was interesting because he said on the flip side, you know, for those companies that are still adding to their team, they're, they're most likely bringing on sales positions. So those roles that really, you know, drive income. Interesting. Interesting. The, you know, with the it, one facet of that, that again, is sort of has a big pharma impact is like, you could also build up your commercial team too quickly. I know we saw, mm. you know, that was an issue that that Biogen had with Agilehelm was, was really sort of prepping a massive mm -hmm. sales team there only to sort of get, um, you know, a, a poor regulatory showing from from CMS. And, and we sort of know how that story has played out since. Um, to, to, to sort of go back to something we mentioned at the beginning, how is April going given some of the difficulties seen in February and, and extending into March? Yeah. So adding those April layoffs onto, you know, January, February and March, 2023 layoffs have surpassed half of last year's total numbers. Nine companies so far in April have reported um, layoffs, which has brought this year's total to 65 companies. Dang. And, and um, you know, given given the analysis that you've done, the reporting that you do often, and, and maybe what you've been hearing from folks, like what what's your sort of, you know, put your stethoscope on, if you will, what's your diagnosis or your prognosis, might be the better word, uh, 
for the rest of this year, the rest of the quarter uh, in terms of uh, what the trends look like for for more layoffs and, and I mean, hopefully less. Okay. I have my stethoscope on. I think most people I've talked to, you know, think that the market will even out a little this summer. It really remains to be seen. Like this summer is proving to be like, it will be a great inflection point. Um, and I think it's difficult to, when you kind of consider all the almost casualties we've already had, we've already had a couple of biotechs have to shutter this year. Um, so really we can't wait much longer for that inflection point. Um, but again, it remains to be seen. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? We report on similar topics. So what is your prognosis there? I mean, it's hard to say. I think like, you know, it's, it's so what I'm, what I'm starting to glean in some respects is a lot of it sometimes feels like, um, uh, disease area, or I guess like modality focused. And by that, I mean, like, you know, we see a lot of gene therapy companies and, mm-hmm. and to be clear, they've not been immune from layoffs, but like, maybe that's an area that it, it has a bit more excitement. So maybe a bit more venture funding than maybe sort of smaller cancer focused biotechs that really have to produce some stunning data to separate themselves. You know, like that, that might seem like an area that had some, some early cuts in February, um, you know, but ultimately, like, it still seems like more biotechs are launching than are closing. So, um, you know, uh, we, we, we don't have, we don't have the resources for like, a biotech opening tracker, I think that would maybe like, paint a bit of a brighter picture uh, for the industry Though we, we do cover new company launches. So I think, I think, you know, we're gonna see some more layoffs, I think, still companies might have to have the tough discussions with VCs and investors that, that this, you know, the, the spigot is getting turned off. Um, you know, and at that point, that's when layoffs usually tend to come or, or right beforehand. But, um, you know, I, it, I have less of a prognosis and more of just a hope from the perspective of people who are getting told that their jobs have been lost, that, that we're sort of at least coming down to a trickle uh, instead mm-hmm. of a, a you know, a, a real rush of layoffs that we saw at the beginning of the year. And I will play devil's advocate a little bit um, just with what you said, you know, about obviously we're seeing so many, you know, cell and gene um, therapy companies emerging. But also I kind of did an analysis where I looked at the type of companies that were having layoffs and most of them were in spaces that are, you know, quote unquote, considered overcrowded. So a Mm. lot of them are cell and gene therapy companies and oncology companies. So it's it's just really... Yeah. Yeah. I, but I think there are also more oncology and cell and gene therapy companies probably starting as well. Well, and to your point, like like gene therapy has established itself really quickly. So there's already sort of, you know, five, six major players there, people who are there's, you know, we were, we've, we've reported on sickle cell as an area where people have had to pull back funding because there are some leaders there. So it's a space that is it shows how sort of quickly these companies have been able to build themselves up and sort of, uh, you know, make a name for themselves that even something like gene therapy, where the science is at on a daily basis being renovated and improved and, and 
um, modified that mm-hmm. there is already sort of a pack leader, you know, pack leaders there that makes it hard for smaller biotechs to to separate themselves if they're a few years away from the clinic. Um, you know, and, and, and that's an interesting analysis that it's not just, um, you know, quote unquote, an old guard of sorts, uh, maybe that are focusing on a specific cancer asset or something, but it's, it's even people who are looking to, to tackle new science and where you might expect there to be sort of an endless flow of cash, that that's not necessarily the case in this current economy. Um, but Gabby, I just wanted to say, you know, a massive uh, thank you and shout out to you for this, for this story, for this analysis and for the reporting that you do on layoffs, you know, all the time, every week, almost every day. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you to you, too. I mean, we all work on the tracker together. Um, So really, I just kind of pulled together an analysis of all the work that we've done for the past two years, well, year and a half so far. So we'll continue tracking things and hopefully the situation, you know, starts to look up pretty soon. Crossing my fingers. All right. Thanks, Max. That's it for The Top Line. I'm Teresa Carey. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. Look for podcasts. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line.